You are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I'm joined by the super talented English singer-songwriters Will Taylor and Nick Hill, who together are the band Flight. The pair met at secondary school, eventually settling in Hackney, London. In 2017, they released their debut album, The Loved Ones, followed in 2021 by their second album, This Is Really Going To Hurt. After extensive touring across Europe and North America, Flight teamed back up with Andrew Salo, who they worked with on their second record, this time at London's famous Conk Studios, to record their most confident and collaborative work to date. In October 2023, they released their third self-titled album, a beautiful record exploring love in all its early forms. Will and Nick chat through the record track by track, discussing the recording process as well as the hosts of friends and collaborators involved, including Laura Marling, Billy Martin and Jessica Stavely-Taylor, as well as many more. So let's uncover their wonderful third self-titled album, Flight. Well, thank you so much for coming on LP Uncovered. Will Taylor and Nick Hill, aka Flight. How's it going, guys? It's going good. Very well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're currently in Tulsa. We're in Tulsa. We are here to write some songs with a band called Will Dorado, who are a Tulsa-based band, which is oh, good. hopefully a good enough explanation as to why we're here in Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> to, before that, our only association with it was Chandler Bing. Oh my gosh! When he gets, like yeah. a, he gets a job in Tulsa for a bit. I wasn't thinking of Tulsa. I was thinking of Yemen. Yemen. <laughs> That's <laughs> so pretend. funny. <laughs> no, Tulsa's the other one. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's been lovely, and we've been writing every day, and it's a good way to start the new year. Nice, nice. Any opportunity to reference friends as well? Have you been to either Tulsa or Yemen before? Well, not Yemen. So one out of. <laughs> yeah. Um, first time to Tulsa. Yeah, yeah. We actually we played in Oklahoma City last year, and we actually ended up writing some songs for Will Dorado in Norman, Oklahoma. in Norman, Oklahoma. So this is this is us following up on that and coming back and coming to where they they live. But writing songs for other people is relatively new for us. The last couple of years, we've been doing it, mm-hmm. and it's great how it can kind of take you anywhere but it's sort of an unusual setup where it's two bands writing together mm. and that, I, I don't i'm not sure how how often that happens but it's it's rare and, and it's quite wonderful yeah it's great i mean normally it's it's a younger you know younger solo artist that's mm. it's been recently signed and they need you know some just like initial help with getting songs off the ground well my shows of songwriting right here so um <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about your album, obviously, to go from songwriting, obviously talk about your third self-titled album, um, one of your most intimate and honest records that you've released. And it therefore feels very potent that it's self-titled, like the first time you self-titled an album. Was that a real conscious decision with it being such an intimate album? Like how much thought process, yeah, did you guys have behind the the title flight? Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think you you literally just put it perfectly. It was an on, yeah, an honest or, or, or honest. I mean, it was a it, it was an easy, truthful, simple, natural recording experience mm. um, for various different reasons. 
and I and I'm, I'm saying that in contrast to you know other times we've made records, you know, and I know from from you know anecdotally from other people making records that sometimes it can be real like it can be a you know real grind sometimes, and it can be existential crisis every other day. Mm. God, we've we've been making this record and the demos sound better, and I'm, I'm stuck on this, and the lyrics aren't even finished for this section, and you know, it's just all, you know, it's just so stressful. Um, and we've and, had that. It's not like we haven't, we've not not had. Yeah, that in the I'm, past. I'm, I'm I mean, referencing. Yeah, I'm in, yeah, yeah. yeah. There. And I think this was the first time where we kind of finally learned from our mistakes a bit. Not even mistakes, just learned from our journey. Yeah. Previously, and kind of corrected all those kind of those easy things that it, mistakes that it's easy to fall into, like just sort of going down the wrong path, even just to working with the right people for the, for the project. It was just so important to choose the right people. Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah. So in the end, because it was a, a lovely quick 10 day in the studio process and it came out finished, we didn't overthink it. We can still enjoy listening to it now just because there aren't any harrowing <laughs> you know, like knee jerk <laughs> listening to it so yeah it felt like calling it calling it uh, yeah self-titling the record felt like a a good intentional move because it feels like we can continue to make records in that way now and mm. so it's like this is the first record of that book. and it's probably like your most collaborative album yet obviously so excited to talk through track by track and discuss all the different people you collaborate with how did that impact building up to your time in the studio so like the months before that knowing it was going to be quite a collaborative process how did that impact you guys before you went into the recording studio if that makes sense well it, it was a product of how we were kind of having to work we didn't we didn't have a recording studio during that period of time mm. we just were writing it in my flat and with no computers or we went demoing we were just playing on the guitar and writing right. on the notepad and that was it really so there was a limitation to how we were writing which meant that the only thing we had to focus on was writing the songs and mm. finishing the songs which is how a lot of people work i'm sure but obviously a lot of people like to be making the sounds and the production and the style as they're also writing the song in fact one can influence the other um but for us i think more than ever it was just like a song and a song only and so you know, we knew when we got into the studio that we'd need to bring people in and 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 make it collaborative like that. But it was actually incredibly freeing. Well, just to, to, to know we had a very limited amount of time in the actual recording studio to make the thing, and we had no plan, we had no demos. Wow. We, no, we didn't know what the drums were going to sound like, or what the what the rhythms were going to be, or you know, overdubs or extra voices on it. All that stuff was, you know, even to the point when we were in the studio. Laura Marling, for instance, was just an on the day like dec decision really to, to to call her out yeah we were sort of like putting a lot of trust in our friends and and it paid off because mm. it's i mean it turns out we just have incredibly talented friends and yeah it was you're right it was incredibly liberating sort of sort of not having to be encumbered by that during the writing process and we could literally we just sat there for six months just writing the thing well it's flat and that just made the recording process so much simpler because the structures of the songs, there was nothing to finish. We just sort of had the thing there. It was like, this is the song. 
we're going to now make arrangement as a team and that's the fun part yeah that's kind of that and so it was it was really joyful it was and and expressive because all all these people who are so talented in their own ways and we kind of I mean, Will, I think you 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 probably curated it more than me. Just sort of like, okay, this I think this song, this person could be good on this song, so let's get them in on that day. And then, and it was sort of like, yeah, yeah, it was it was a really expressive time. Yeah, the song is written well, in theory. Then, um, <laughs> then the um, the room to breathe for these other uh, musicians is 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 it's like a lovely thing to hear. You, know, you don't have to. I think in the past we worked with people and you've had to be a little bit prescriptive and say, you know, we actually really need you to, to walk down this quite thin road here with this part. And there isn't. And so, yeah, with this, there was just so much more room to just trust someone and say, yeah, do it how you would, how you feel in your heart. You want to do it. You know, here's, mm-hmm. here's room for you here and get going. And anyway, I mean, people, people do that. Other artists um, are great at doing that. It was just our first time doing it. And it was mm-hmm. a bit of a revelation. And it was really cool to see it as well in the studio documentaries that you showed on like social media as well. Cause, um, yeah, that'll kind of, I'll, that'll kind of pop up in some of the questions that I asked you later down the line. But yeah, it was really cool seeing like that collaborative experience and like I say, you kind of just talking to each other. Um, before we go through track by track, album artwork, I love this beautiful painting of the two of you. What made you go with that image? Cause I know there was another image with like, you know, a bit busier with everyone involved. What ultimately made you go with, um, that lovely? painting i know they're both by the same artist yeah well we initially thought we wanted to this leads on well from what we were just saying we thought we wanted to represent how collaborative it was by putting as many you know by putting everyone that played on it on the front cover and we were looking at collaging to do that because that seemed like you know the best way to do it and we had lots of wonderful photographs from the session. Our friend Katie Sylvester was there the whole time snapping away and filming too, which is why there's that documentary that you can see. But um, once we'd, once we kind of made the collage, we just thought the collage wasn't quite, there wasn't quite enough depth in just a collage. And there's something about a band putting a, a collage as their album artwork. It just seems a little played out. So we thought, how do we, how do we kind of keep this, and add depth to it, and and we realised that um, getting our friend Jamie to paint it might transform that. And so he painted it, and it looked beautiful. This collage with everyone in it, and it looked like a film poster, it looked like a sort of Star Wars promotional poster or something <laughs> like that, which was also really cool. Um, but then there was just a moment, I think, when we when we were actually listening to the record and looking at that image and realising, although the intentions of that artwork are great. And honouring the people that are, that are on it, and 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 putting people in in the the headspace of oh this is a studio record with with different players and that's how I listen to it. We realised actually the sentiments of the, of the songs themselves are much more powerful than that. Process is interesting, but it's not interesting for everyone, and it's not doesn't reach people's hearts. And you know this is actually ultimately a song about intimacy and about love and companionship. You know, much less to do with what the that artwork looked like, big group of people. Mm. Um, and then there was a, as we were making the music video for Defender, which is the first video. Was that photo taken during that video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we were just doing, as a joke, and it was really cold and we were in this, this, this damp, freezing Lake District yeah. cottage. It was a bit like Widnell and I. Um, just what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> 
And and I think we just kind of like cuddled up for a second and Katie took a snap. And then when we saw the picture, we were like, that's sweet. <laughs> it's kind of a joke. We were like, that should be the album cover. And then actually it sort of suddenly made sense that it was really Nick and I, we wrote it, we created this thing and everyone that wrapped around it, they can, they can be in the inner sleeve. Mm. Yeah. And there was a nice sense of, um, yeah, just like love and intimacy mm. between us as the writers, but also kind of echoing what the actual sentiment is beyond that, actually, in the songs themselves. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. And um, it leads really nice into the first song. Really excited to go through track by track. It's a speech bubble. Just to quote a few of the lyrics. I love the lyric, heartbreak, it takes practice. And I think I'm getting better at this. And as a listen, obviously, you know, for people that have followed your music, you can straight away see this real shift from your last album, which is obviously the breakup album, to then this opening song where you're asking someone to start a relationship, ultimately. Um, at what point did you guys know that you wanted to have that chronological order of like a relationship? I know you kind of did that in the last album, but yeah, what made you kind of continue that um, almost like start and beginning relationship and then working your way through the sequencing-wise? Hmm. Well, I mean, it felt like it was a continuation story-wise of the second album yeah. just because it's it was a, it's a biographical record again um second one was of my breakup and then this one is of the a healthy relationship that develops out of the ashes of of that which obviously i don't think anyone has to be interested in my personal relationships at all I, I, it fundamentally isn't interesting but i think that because those are the the catalyst for Nick and I writing those songs. Um, yeah, it sets the tone for the whole yeah. the whole record, doesn't it, instantly? Yeah. It's just worth setting the tone for how we write. It's just like the way that we feel and yeah. just, it's just it's so going to it, reflect. Yeah, in the it comes out as a, yeah, it comes out yeah. as this, or it has done, these last two records have come out as these, these stories, basically. Mm. And um, we've used Real Life to, to, to be you know, heavily influenced for that storytelling but but we're also going bigger and larger and zooming out and and wanting to tell stories for everyone generally speaking we did that in the first album too the loved ones but we did we did that very consciously for other people's stories so yeah just so it felt like to to reiterate that sense of it being this linear story that's continuing to be told we thought we'd just carry on in the chronological emotional sequence so yeah the first Sorry, the second album, this is really going to hurt. It, it, it starts at the moment of the breakup just happening. So Easy Tiger is written just just as this breakup happened. And then it gradually go, moves through all the different sequence of emotions. And so, yeah, with this with, with this record that has just come out, Speech Bubble is the, is the beginning. It's before the beginning, in fact. It's asking for something to start. And it's sort of predicting and manifesting a relationship. You've spoken about like song titles. Uh, having a song title is something you quite like early on in the songwriting process. This, I think, is the only title song title on the album where you don't reference it in the lyrics. Um, mm. Where did the song title come from? Mm. Good question. It's a good question. Well, I just, I just had that that thought of it was like almost a, some a text, someone texting, and that yeah. whole speech that comes up when you're seeing that someone's writing. They've got um, their, but you, they haven't actually sent the message yet, and you get that little mm. three right. dots notification. Like, oh my god, they're typing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so there's this anticipation and this sense that 
you're asking someone. It's almost like it hasn't been sent yet. Right. The whole thing is is just a, is is a long, persuasive text. Let me make it better. Let me be square. Let me be a good boy. Let me be there. You can throw your sadness at me. I just wanna make you happy. The second song, Defender. To talk about titles, you said this song started just as a title. Yeah, how was it the the challenge of bringing in the softness of the song with the title, obviously, Defender, which can have quite, like, you know, strong connotations? Yeah, how did you find that kind of putting the two together and creating such a beautiful song? Oh, I'm saying nice words about our music. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, that's right. Nick and I were just kind of going, Defender would be a great title. Mm. Um we wrote, we wrote it with Matt Field, actually, who's, his artist's name's M Field, and he's in a band called Beatenberg. Very sensitive, very beautiful, almost classical guitar player. So there was already this sort of delicate nature in the music as, as we were writing it. Um, but really the whole intention of that song was that we wanted it to feel like an inner thought that wasn't being said out loud. It was a, it's a kind of a worry defender. Yeah. It's someone worrying about whether or not they're capable of looking after someone who's struggling with mental health in a relationship. And it's that inside thought of saying, you're there, I can see you struggling and I can see you not letting me in necessarily. And I want to be led and I want to help. But I'm also, has it have the, I also have the capability of struggling just as much as you do in that capacity. And, so, and, and I think we were, we, were, we were pleased to be writing a song in that vein just because, you know, the song could have just as easily been a savior song yeah which which didn't it doesn't sit well with us at all because you know the idea of i think the two things that are off the table for us always are something someone saying let me save you let me i am the one with the ability to save you i am the powerful one here or, you know i think that always just gives us the ick and then the other thing is berating someone else as well putting a lot of stuff on someone else you fucked with me and you're the problem and I'm great. You know, I think when we hear songs that are written from that perspective, it's always just a, just a, a tricky angle. And so, yeah, so the, the, the idea of saying to someone that you'll defend them felt a little off for us. And so to say, I'm going to pretend at the very least to try, uh, like I'm strong enough to do that. So the music had to be soft in that way, you know, and it had to be very still, very static, very contemplative. And um, we also kind of reveled in the fact that we put out such a pensive, small mm -hmm. song out as the first single. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, obviously I love the vulnerability of that and that's like heightened in, um, you know, the way you sing it and being of the slightly higher register was that always a thought process that you thought I might try and, you know, go slightly more of a higher register when you were singing it? Yeah, well, the, yeah, it's just the vulnerability of hearing someone singing in a register that they definitely can't sing in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, as in, like, I really struggle to sing that song. It's really, 
an annoying thing to sing each night on tour because I just have to be so aware of trying to hit those notes in that specific well, way. It was thought through. Well, yeah, it's, it's because it's an incredibly brittle part of, of the male range. That it's like, and so, and it, and it just brings out all that, all that emotion in the voice. Yeah. Which was you, helpful. You, yeah. We, we were trying to be onomatopoeic with the male vocal range and the sentiment. <laughs> of the <song. laughs> that's, that's good. Occasionally you're like sitting down in the studio when you're like, I don't know if you're necessarily recording, but there's a lot of, uh, images of you guys like sitting down surely with this song this is a stand-up song could you sit no, down i was sitting, I was yeah. sitting. wow got to be relaxed ah okay standing is it's tiring yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you ever stood for a really long time but yeah, it's, it's yeah. Tiring. a relaxed vocal is always is always so much better than a, a strained or anyone thinking about what they're doing as soon as you, as soon as you think That's about what you're point. doing, it's just you just suddenly lose the magic of the performance. And so, just to be completely relaxed and in, almost you know, I've seen you do a vocal like almost lying down. Wow, <laughs> I know what you mean. Like standing up, standing up to sing is a bit like okay, I'm going to be breathing yeah, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to sing. Yeah, yeah, with you. It's like have you seen Pink? Does oh, she did this like sketch where she sings upside down, and she she says that she can sing better when she's like upside down. Mm, she's a vampire <laughs> challenge for the next album your friends they send me luck and I pretend I'm strong enough to be your the third song press play i love that it's like point in a relationship where you've not met your partner's friends not with the family and that kind of like anxiety but also like excitement around that and like you kind of feel that in the music as well how much did you guys enjoy creating the feel of the song through the melody specifically yeah, well yeah you, you you described the song perfectly there that's what it is it's the excitement and the, the nervous excitement of the beginning of the relationship you're driving home to be their parents for instance that's the kind of thing we wanted to be so yeah making the melody kind of fall and bounce and lift and just keep being lifted up like a balloon with hot air it's kind of done in the chords themselves i think i think the melody is is always shifting up the scale but there's always a sense that the try to make the make it so that the chord always this is this is sounds this is quite boring, but it always hits these inversions that aren't quite the complete chord. So mm -hmm. it feels like the chord needs to keep evolving. It needs to, so it never lands. Right. Yeah, the melody itself isn't super dynamic. No, it's quite it's quite a sort of like it's actually the it lilts between quite a small kind of range. But actually, the chords around it are the things that's sort of elevating it. Yeah, keeps lifting, and then we and we and we went in, you know, kitchen sink approach with the with the with the, with all the instruments we added to it. So we. I mean, it was a live take. Um, oh, wow. The singing, the dr two drum kits, strings, piano, bass, two guitars, percussion, like everything is happening all at once. Everyone's playing all at the same time. So there's a real celebratory feeling about the, the song. It's a complete mess. It's really hard to mix because there's just so much music happening all at once. Um, but that, I guess, is the point. It's sort of supposed to feel like fireworks. 
Mm. And it kind of, it's really nice, like, putting it, especially after, like, first and second song, which kind of, like, eases you into the album. And this, like, song sort of kind of, like, hits you, so to speak. And you reference mm. in the lyrics, um, like, listening to this, like, Black Hole Sun, Lithium in the Car. And I was just going to ask, like, what would you say are some of your, like, favourite songs to sing in the car? Quite a vague question. It could I be, like, like your most recent favourite songs to sing in the car. Robbie Williams' Angels. Oh, been happening a lot just on the tour because yeah um that's a classic i think that's one of the most like karaoke songs isn't it robbie williams it must be and gloria Gaynor, i think yeah yeah the ritual before stage on the on the last tour was to to put the hands in put everyone's hands in together into a circle and and go not me not hermione you that's the full extent to our um okay. nature that's as far as we've gone so it's sort of it's it's shifted away from singing anything it's just more just harry potter quotes oh brilliant yeah are you going to continue that on your next shows you know i've seen that so much on like not me you know yeah. when they do it was a very very much of the moment uh, uh sort of thing to do it's not very original of us but we've always struggled to find a, a kind of a ritual thing that that we feel like we could earnestly engage in mm. with repressed cynical Englishmen. Um, so doing a, a bit from, from a current yeah. Harry Potter meme <laughs> was a good little um, nice. key in door. So the four song, Don't Forget About Us, a song that, um, that you've spoken well, that you've written for your partner, Billy, and obviously Billy Martin's on the song. So you said that you wrote the lyrics like pretty quickly in a moment to cheer her up. How did having like a very active purpose with the lyrics impact writing, knowing that it was a very quick, like, okay, I've got to do this. How did that impact to you as a songwriter? Well, I think it's like it's why it's also why we're enjoying being out here in Tulsa right now writing for Will Dorado. It's intentional writing, if you know what I mean. It's sort of like quick. We need to do something. You know, there's a there's a reason for writing. We find our reasons for writing our songs, just as Nick and I when we're writing, just in the context of the two of us. But that takes a, quite a while for us to do that. We have to we have to really search and dig deep for our out, yeah. for our for what our intention is. Um, because that's so important really it's the most important thing and so it is lovely when for instance um there's just i I just um billy and i hadn't been together very long and and she was just in a in a really blue state and i just i wasn't sure what to do and i just i just i'll just write these i'll fix how how do i fix this i'll I'll write i'll write the lyrics to this song that'll, that'll cheer up you know and and so you're not overthinking anything at all you're just trying to actually it's like if you want, if you had to write a song for someone's birthday or something, hmm. you know, you'd hmm. write it really quickly. It might be end up being a really good song because you wouldn't have thought about it at all. But there's an intent, there's a, a functionality. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was nice, and it was great to get Bill to to sing that song with us because that made almost the 
yeah, just such a nice amount of sense. Even more appropriate. And obviously it's in unison harmony. Um, did you guys always know that you wanted to have it in unison? Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite low for me. It's quite high for her, which again, vulnerable. She was always annoyed that we put it in that key. She's like, it's too high for me. <laughs> and sadistically, we'd be like, but that's good. It makes it's perfect. It creates the feeling. Um, and I like that shared thing that I'm annoyed with my range being too low for that song. And she was annoyed with her range being too high. Um, but I think when you step back from it, there's something nice about that. Also, I think, why did we not harmonize that much with that one? I think just because melodically it's, it's nice for some reason in mono. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're really strong melodies and there's like no need to dilute them. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit of harmony. In the middle, middle yeah, there's how many in the middle eight? There you go. There's plenty of harmonising in the fifth song, Perfect Dark. Um, mm. How did melody-wise this song take shape? Mm. Did it take shape? It was actually a quite a, there was quite a sort of slow process with the melody of that song. Yeah. It sort of like kept writing sections on top of because originally we just had that sort of guitar. It was riff, a cool guitar jam. And we kind of had like... I mean, and that's all we had. And so we kind of mm. ended up splicing and slicing. And I remember we finished it on Primrose Hill. Yeah, did we? Yes. Yeah, we did. The chorus. The chorus. We got the, finally got the chorus of Primrose Hill and then everything kind of fell into place after that. That was a tricky one with the lyrics just because we had, we'd sculpted melodies first and, and, and lyrics that have to come after melody mm. are often the real bane of our existence until those lyrics are written. I mean, it can take weeks. I like weeks. it. I like, you it. like it. It's kind <laughs> of like it becomes more like a word game almost. Puzzle. Like a puzzle, but um, that one that one was an early song for this record, wasn't it? We kind of always knew that one would sit somewhere on the record, mm. and it's just such a, it just had such a mood that we couldn't ignore it. It was just a, yeah, it was just a it, a very uh, singular mood that we sort of haven't done on anything else mm. before, you know, or since even. We actually have a, an alternative version of that coming in a few weeks. Oh, wicked. Recorded, yeah, recorded at Rack with the producer Ethan Johns, who's a really um, kind of legendary producer we've always wanted to work with, and um, and Madison Cunningham, who's an artist. Oh, from, wow. Cool. So it's just me and Nick and Maddie, just with acoustic guitar each, and that's it. Just one take. Is it one, it's probably one of our only very few songs in a minor key, isn't it? It is in a minor key. I think it's probably one of two or something. Naughty. You always write a magic. <laughs> I can't think of any. No. I don't even know what the other minor one is. I can't either. I can't think of it. No. Minor keys. Minor keys are a little bit like, they seem a little bluesy, a little jazzy sometimes. I had a friend at, at school who used to write all, all his songs in minor keys, and it was all a little bit like that. Oh, wow. And I think it put me off. <laughs> minor could, uh, minor could, uh, could be a wonderful thing with a minor key. There's nothing wrong. That dark is And with 
the harmonies on this one, um, you've said that when you were doing busking on Portobello Road that the harmonies brought in the punters. You got more money for harmonising. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Literally, there were four of us showing up on a Saturday morning and the less we harmonised, the less people would stay and give us wow. money. The more we harmonised, the more people would. Also, it's louder because there are more people singing. Just projects more yeah, sound. Yeah. <laughs> more sound, yeah. But a harmony is. And uh, our producer Andrew Sarlo said that to us once. I remember he was like, "If I had to start a band from scratch, the first thing I would do is make sure everyone was harmonising and singing because everyone loves the harmony. Everyone does love a harmony. Yeah, it's just just one of those things that everyone is satisfied by. Mm. Humans singing. Yeah, the human voice is it's just relatable. It's a relatable feeling, isn't it? Yeah, and. I don't know why, but we didn't harmonise all that much on this last record. Maybe because it's it's so we wanted it to feel so personal. Like Defender, for instance, we tried to harmonise and we just realised it took it took a lot of. Uh, I think also harmonies, really, really strong harmonies, take time, and we didn't give ourselves time. So it was, it was more about simple supporting harmonies rather than like these grand yeah or anything too kind of flashy yeah but i also remember discussing that we wanted to we wanted to try and do less is more with harmonies because there there are there are lots of great moments of harmony in in this record Mm. but they just happen less often Mm. and when they do like chelsea smiles for instance sorry i'm jumping ahead but no that's fine um no that's fine it's that messing that you harmonise for one second in that song, but when you do, it's such a cool feeling. Right, yeah, like with withholding it. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you're right, less is more with that sort of thing. Yeah, and you want harmonies, listen to the first record. It's absolutely rammed full of harmonies. Mm. It's like really subtle harmonies in a lot of points as well, and I'm going to mention like one of the Queen of Harmonies, Jess, from the Staves as well, a little bit later on, because I know that you um, work with her a fair bit. And I also love the strings on Perfect Dark as well. That really stood out for me. The sixth song, even on bad days. So I'm right in thinking this starting as a, this started as a wedding vow before it was put to music. Yeah, well, it just just a declaration of love that's in a way, in a less romantic way. Well, in a way, the most romantic way, which is saying, even in the boring times, mm. even ten years from now, or even when, you know, just the it's, I think it's just trying to celebrate the mundane and appreciate that it's easy to write a love song when you're just in the throes of love but actually what's harder and more meaningful more and 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 far dif- more difficult to write about in a way is the is the bit later is a few years in it's when people start when people start drying up and stop writing the love songs it was just one of those things where again just wanted to prove prove a point that you that you should still be able to write uh well within the context of contentment and jess was on this one i saw in the studio yeah she did some harmonizing this what was that like working her in the studio because i know you guys have done like a lot before in the past yeah yeah well she's just uh, she seems just 
like a very comfortable fit at this point. You know, she mm-hmm. she toured with us um, as part of the band, uh, part of the live band a few years ago. And we'd done a song called White Roses with her and Millie and, and Emily um, already in the studio. So we'd worked with them in the studio before. And I think she just very casually kind of swung by, really. There was no specific plan um, for her to do anything in, in particular. Mm-hmm. We, we sort of went, yeah, let's try it on this and that. Um, even on Bad Days, again, was a live take. So the lead vocal and the harmonies and the drums and the acoustic and the bass were all recorded at once. Right. And there was a one overdub on it. But but other than that, you know, it's 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 a... Um, so it's a mood and, and the, uh, the the actual specific performance of that song I think came out came out well because we we're just running it I think I think it's just I think the recording on the record is just the sound of us running yeah, rehearsal, it. yeah. yeah it was a rehearsal we were just oh, running wow. it through and we didn't realize the tape was rolling and so um there's a sense that maybe I just just because I know how it was done that way but when I when I hear that song, it I get the feeling that it's it's not trying mm. to 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 perform, which is nice. And I think because of that, it ends up sounding quite empathetic. Mm. Dom, Dom, our engineer, put that really well. He was just like, it's just dripping with compassion and empathy because it's so small. And and you you know, we did when once we knew the tape was rolling, and we were like, no, 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 give us another crack at it. The 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 recordings were just it was night and day. It just mm. didn't work at all. I was like, yeah, even on bad day, you know, it was like just trying, trying too hard, too on point. Nick and Jess's harmonies were too in tune. I was singing more deliberately into the microphone. It's so annoying that you have to be tricked into a performance yeah. like that. Mm. But um just Nick's voice all the way through that is just so soothing and so compassionate, so um human. And we didn't double track anything. We didn't layer anything. It's very, it's very much the sound of, of what happened in the room in that in that one moment on the run through. Nice. Flaws and all. Yes, but crazy when you think that it's flaws. We at the time we were devastated. We're like, this is not good. What? And then it's funny listening to it later down the line. Saying, there's nothing wrong with this. There are no flaws. <laughs> thing. But it's just. I think when you're looking so close at everything, you just hate everything you do. Mm. I, I like the live video. I was slightly jealous of the guy in the pub who looked like he was getting like his own like private gig. Yeah. I mean, it was like two in the afternoon, wasn't it? <laughs> was it? In U- Utrecht in the Netherlands. Oh, really? I thought it was a London pub. Well, it wouldn't be that mm. quiet, I guess, but all right. Yeah, it was a great little bar called Café Durat in Utrecht. And oh, wow. we, were, we were on tour at the time and we needed to do, do something you know, to celebrate the song coming out. So we went and um, recorded it there. It was great. People were smoking inside and there was an old janky piano. And, mm-hmm. and Perfect. There was an old man that came and sat halfway through. <laughs> yeah. We're just doing a thing. And, and it was actually, we can't, A, tell him not to come into the bar. We haven't booked this bar or anything. And watching it later, it was like, oh, it's perfect. The whole it's made by this guy sitting there, right? Yeah. Like, oh, well. He like ran a radio station. Yeah, it turned out he was like a music. Really cool. Yeah. Even on bad days, phones are going to ring. Even on bad days, the world is going to spin. Our arms are going to crater. 
The seventh song, Tough Love, so amazing. Um, this dialogue between two people in a relationship and the fact it takes two people to prop up an unhealthy relationship. So you said that a, a duet seemed right. And then Laura Marling is on it, who's just a genius. Uh, yeah, how was that working with her? I think you kind of touched on the fact it was like a quite a quick into the studio. She was a legend. And then like it was quite a quick process. Yeah, yeah, it didn't take long at all. Um, well, I mean, it, we did, we, the track had already been built up. We kind of built that track up a little bit more than we had the other songs on the record, just because it was based around a drum machine and mm. layers of guitars and things. And it was one of those ones where it starts very small and then it builds and it gets bigger and each, each section comes and it increases. There's an extra part added each time you hit another section. Yeah, it's um, kind of the only one that was like an actual production, really. Yeah. So, so when she came in, it was, it was, she just needed to complete it by singing her part. But she's very funny and very cool. She's a cool customer. Cool customer. She's championed you guys for a while, hasn't she? I know you kind of known each other for a few years, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she's very, um, yeah, she's just very kindly been um, sharing the old thing of ours over the years. Um, and expressing enjoyment of our songwriting and stuff. So that that's that that's a surreal thing to hear from someone who, you know, we've appreciated and for, for years and years. Everyone everyone seems to with Laura. She seems to be a kind of bit of a a legendary figure because there are only so few singer-songwriters, especially London singer-songwriters, female singer-songwriters, that are sort of able to be quite so mysterious mm. you know and so i think feist is a bit like that where it's just like you know there's not a lot of you don't i don't i wouldn't know what her voice sounds like even maybe have my research but you know th there's just a nice private quality to i think billy is like that too she's very she's always been very good at being quite private yeah um and so it just really increases your enjoyment of them as artists yeah laura doesn't just do anything like seems yeah. like it's quite and what she does to it is very important and exactly yeah. therefore there's always value in every decision she seems to make and she's 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 always making a record and it's always great so yeah it was yeah real cherry on top and it really makes that song yeah. such a great song and you said that you try to avoid these like chord progressions that might feel too traditional like heard of four and especially towards the end of the song you said it builds up and up yeah how much did you enjoy playing around with the different like chord progressions or progressions in this song because especially there's like harmonies towards the end that i'm like what like the notes and yes mad mm -hmm. like it's so cool it's probably where my actual music theory articulation oh, really? eyes up a bit yeah um i wouldn't know why why i think there's a there's kind of a mode that a lot of the notes i think when we i said the word mode when we when we write songs yeah. a, a lot of the times we're like, like, like we said previously, we're on two acoustic guitars sat around a table. And I think you, you start playing these songs for a long time and then you end up kind of to make it interesting for yourself. You have to kind of like elaborate on these chords and like add bits of harmony just because it's like, well, that's a nice part of this chord. So you ended up in, enriching and kind of arranging these songs as you're writing them. And I think out of boredom, out of sheer boredom of just hearing it's like, I can't be bothered to play this chord the same way again. 
We and did keep embellishing those chords, you're right. Yeah, I think we had that, we had the sort of verse melody structure for a very long time. Um, and then we we create and then we and then we just sort of added another section to it. I remember it was like a, we flattened out the section, just made this kind of like very flat, like da, 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 da. it's like a very like Oh, so the melody, yeah. So the melody was was flattened, so we had to change the time signature to make it seem interesting. Yeah. Against the quite quite broad movement of the melodies in the verse, yeah. in which the chords are actually quite still and it's quite on the four four. And putting the ninth into the relative minor chord mm. is what adds that slightly strange dark feeling. Yeah. AC feeling. Yeah. And um Police is, is that's a really every, every yeah. breath you take is yeah. a really good example of the way they put they put the ninth into the relative minor, and it creates a sort of quite a satisfying kind of warm, happy, sad, and almost mysterious feeling into the chords. Mm. Um, and so we use that as we really were guided by that a lot. And but I, I'm always pleased that we stuck with that chorus the way it was, the way that it you keep dropping the beats in the bar, it keeps falling back before you expect it to um because really all that ends up doing is serving the lyric because mm. what's satisfying in the end when you zoom out from all of the boring chord stuff is is really it's just interesting to hear that lyric repeated yeah and it meaning something slightly different each time you hear that lyric repeated so mm. true and so yeah so anything anything to help the the experience of the lyric basically and that's why we would shift with the chords that much because the more you make the chord interesting the more that the lyric feels interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we learned when writing that one. So true. And gotta mention the stripped down version for the mahogany session with Florence Pugh. That looked very fun. Um yeah, how did how did that come about? Uh maybe similar to the Laura situation where Florence had been sharing a lot of our stuff on her on her social media and and so we sort of pen palled for a few years. And we were always looking for a, something to do together. We were talking about something coming up that we would collaborate on. And it was really just because Laura wasn't around or available to do the live video for Tough Love. Because we decided that a music video for that one would be maybe a little too tricky. And so instead of a music video, the only other option really is to just do a stripped down live version. Yeah. So, so we so we um we we planned on that, but Laura um wasn't available for that. So it was just like who who else could do it and do it justice or make it seem interesting or you know, and not diminish the fact that Laura isn't in it. And it's just seemed like a left field thing to have a an actor like Florence Pugh. And she's a musician too, but I suppose people know her predominantly as an actor. I just felt felt like yeah, just an interesting move. And she and she was great. And she showed up to 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 my flat to do the video. I think it was the morning after having done the Oppenheimer premiere. And uh it was the actor strike, I think, around that time. So it was just quite a strange night for her. So we were quite appreciative of like, you know, that's an intense thing to have done the yeah. night before. She showed up in the morning to sing this song. It was quite cool that she just showed up on her own with no entourage or anything like that. Oh wow, cool. You know, our manager and assistant publicist were all there kind of excited. We did not invite them. They were just there being like, oh, it's Pew's coming round. <laughs> <laughs> so there were quite a few people in the flat. Poor old Florence just sort of, to, she just Ubered up in a very lovely and to earth and unpretentious way and had to sort of sit there and learn this song in front of everyone. <laughs> Poor old Florence. But it was great. 
song, Amy. I'm fascinated by the production side of things. So talk to me about the tape loop you made. Because I mm. saw it and it looked very cool, but also like crazy. Yeah, it was a, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a there's an actual dedicated bit of the documentary just to making that tape loop. Yeah. It's not, we're not, it was certainly not the first people to have made a tape loop, but it was the first time we've made one. And I think in the past we would have used our ebb and tide pitch harmonizer to create backwards things or mm. or to create a sense of psychedelia for a second. Um, but we had very capable hands on board with Don Monks and Andrew Silo. They're both very, very experienced with working with with analog equipment and tape. Dom especially, because he's he's been um, the apprentice of Ethan Johns for, for his career up until recently. So he's very good with tape and Andrew very colorful and creative. And we just would collect each um, a, a collectible soundbite from each musician that had come into the studio, got them to play within a particular key for about twenty seconds. So at the end of end of the session, we had we had a kind of a, you know cello, and a French horn, and an electric guitar, and we did a lot of mindless sort of fake talking mm. and just clattered sounds around. And so we just had this treasure chest of dressing up box of of sound. And yeah, just mix it all through onto a. I mean, I'm trying to explain it on a kind of bit technical by bit, level. Technical yeah, level it's, when it's I, actually very difficult to explain. Yeah, yeah. I'm not certain, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So putting it through the putting it through the desk into the tape machine, mixing that. But then what you then have to do is you take the you physically take the tape on the tape machine, and you you turn it upside down, and then you then feed the tape out of the spool, cut it up, and then sellotape it back together so it's actually just one singular loop. And then you need lots of space for that loop to be to be running. So they Yeah, it's huge. Uh, took this took the, took this this very thin little piece of tape and, and ran it around the entire recording studio into sort of uh, clipping it onto little mic stands and mm-hmm. and so it became this kind of real physical spectacle and then whilst it's playing as well you sort of mess with it and you sort of pinch the tape for a second it slows down for a second and wow it's just such a physically creative arts and crafts way of using studio which is just a lot of fun and obviously people at you know beatles are very famous for using that approach and you know it's a very 60s 70s thing to have done so it felt cool whilst we were doing it going yeah. how does that play out live do you I do have the the tape spool actually in my house, so we could, in theory, take us rent a, a couple of hours. Yeah, It'd take us a couple of hours in front of the whole crowd and setting it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a long uh, concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I love the fact that Capri Sun gets a mention in the lyrics. Like that really yeah. stood out for me. I don't feel like Capri Sun has been you know, properly honoured in a song before, so. Definitely not. And yeah. now's its opportunity, which is mm. very cool. And also, the last minute French horn, is it Joel Ashford as well? Mm. Love yeah, Joel. that's amazing. So good and like really tops off the song.
the ninth song, Chelsea Smiles. You've said that you, you feel like you're very persistent in making something that is the best version that it can be. And this song was one of the ones that maybe kept coming back to on the record, might have taken a bit longer, that's what I read that you said. Mm-hmm. And does that make it more rewarding at the end of finishing the song? Or is it just more like oh, a relief that it's done? Well, yeah, it was, it was, it's a satisfying feeling when you finish something that you've been working on for, for a really long time, just systematically testing the electric fence of this, this song for years. Um, and you know, quite more often than not just putting it down and giving up and coming back to it and picking it up again, having a look at it. But I think that initial chord progression in that song, is about seven years old. Mm. Um, and we just finally, I think, leading up to the record, kind of found its other section. That took us a really long time. But then once you have the melody in place, like I said, you know, um, fitting a lyric into a melody is, is really like the biggest challenge for us. Just because anecdotally for us, a lyric is is often best or it's easiest when it arrives in a moment of improvised clarity you know and and the melody will be arriving at the same time i think often it's it's, that's a much asked question isn't it what comes first the lyric or the melody and yeah so there is it has to it kind of has to be both at the same time and there is a subsection of songs of ours that are all melodies we wrote when we were all together in a studio and you're not thinking about lyrics in that context you're thinking about melody and feel and stuff and so you, you just have to get. You just have to learn to to be really persistent and really patient with just just sculpting and putting in the right words into the right the right sounding words into the into the corners of each part of the melody, which sounds dispassionate. And initially, it, it is. But then once you actually get going and you start, you kind of realize that when you are really happy in that process is when you've actually somehow throughout this painstaking process brought it round to some sort of inner truth that you're actually subconsciously harboring. Mm. And so in a way sometimes in like a strange way that it manifests itself like the truth. Yeah, it just like it plays itself out predicts like the future pro- or something. Proper prophesizing things that like yeah. might happen. It's just it's yeah, strange. Crazy. So that's why, I mean, that's why it's such a satisfying thing. I mean, on a spiritual level, it's extraordinarily satisfying to suffer for something for for a really long time. And then it, obviously, I think that's in all walks of life, the area of satisfaction for for any human person. And for us in a very, very small way, it's it's through (laughs) grappling with these annoying little songs that we have to struggle (laughs) with for years. But the, hopefully the idea at the end of it is, well, for the listeners, that they have no idea that that's been the process. Chelsea smiles, drops a needle on the 45, sends a spinning with the home crowd singing, when we're winning. Chelsea smiles, when we're driving down the murder. such a great song um as is the penultimate song on the record better than blue yeah that's this actually links in really well so yeah heard you say a lot about how the most truthful melody serves the sentiment 
of the lyrics of the song exactly what we're just saying then um how is it bringing together the two on this song so that's basically exactly we've just been talking about sorry in terms mm. of the, on this song in particular um i think at this point in the record it just wanted to be uncomplicated optimistic soothing just a straight love song and although it's got a sort of a mysterious feeling in the chords and the the premise of the positive message is that it's coming from a sadness and and replacing a sadness with a sense of um arriving at something special it was pretty easy to write i think it was just i think it was just a, a series of describing little images in my mind about what had been lying around in the house and what the season was that we were in and and just it was just it was just kind of say what you see kind of lyric which often doesn't work but sometimes you just can sit in the room you're in and just look at all the stuff and write yeah. it right into the song um and i suppose it's summarizing this thing of this replacement of blue with or and or sadness um, which is kind of the blue was the color of the previous record mm. and the themes of the previous record were of sadness and anger and, you know, just difficult, not pleasant emotions. And so, yeah, that, that song, I guess, is there to serve that replacement coming. We found something better than blue. now. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And um, I love the strings. And I also love that like kind of cannonball effect with the, um, like different vocals as well, to, which I really loved. Jess again. That's Jess. Yeah, that's Jess. Uh, I wondered if it was. I wasn't too sure. Nice. Yeah, that's Jess. And also fun to to find the punchline of Love is a Tangerine Healer that makes life an easy peeler. Yeah. Um, it took such a long time to find the right combination of words that would be sweet and funny and not annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gimmicky. Um. Yeah, but it's easy with that with that kind of lyric because it's just a pattern. You just say what what are what are colours? Mm. What are the colours that aren't blue? And you just work your way through them. Love is a tangerine healer that makes life And I love the lyrics in the last song, Bedtime Reminder. Love the last lyrics at the end, but you'll be my bedtime reminder and I'll be awake at call, a reason to lay down beside her and dream of nothing at all. And that's then like the end of the album, which feels very appropriate for the end of the album. Very like full circle from the first song. Um, how soon into writing it did you know you wanted to have it at the end? I think when we were recording it, we knew it was an ender. Really? It was so simple. And and it was a 10-track album and we added Bedtime Reminder. It was a kind of last oh, minute right. was written in LA. Billy and I wrote it as a kind of ditty that was a throwaway, almost like as a joke. So it was kind of it's this additional 11th track. So it always felt like a bit of a, an appendage. A nubbin. A nubbin. It's a nubbin. Not friends references here. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. Um, the, um, 
thing is though with that song actually now i look at it and it's i think it feels in its very small little way quite a significant little song yeah it gets that song grew for me yeah. too yeah um, and people seem to have um who have reached the end who've stuck around for the end of the record seem to have chimed with that one in a really nice way i think it's just because it's just very 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 simple mm. and was written in 15 minutes wow but yeah it is like a golden nugget at the end, or golden nubbin, do you say? <laughs> it's the golden nubbin. It's the golden nubbin. <laughs> there you go, put that on the posters. you be my bedtime reminder And I'll be your wake-up call Reason to lay down beside her And Of nothing at all. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate your time chatting through track by track. It's yeah, fascinating to hear you talk about it. Um, two final like things I do towards the end. So I do some like final questions, which, which we kind of covered. So which song came together the quickest and which took the longest? Yeah, we definitely smiles. Of the quickest. Chelsea smiles the longest. Okay, great. Um, no. Do you have a favourite song off the album or current favourite song? Uh, favourite song on the album is Speech Bubble. Mm. Nick, what are you saying? I think mine is probably Defender. Oh, nice. Nice. Great chance. Um, do you have a favourite lyric or song with particular favourite lyrics? I think Bad Days is probably my favourite overall lyric. That's some beautiful, beautiful lines in that song. Oh God, it's going to take me a second to remember how it starts. (laughs) Um, The family cast, the churning of the earth, still turning in me, I thought was really, really pleasing. Pleasing lyric. You're saying that because that was the one lyric we wrote together in the cafe. (laughs) I just remember, I just remember, it was such a revelation. (laughs) It was so fun to write. Yeah, yeah. Nice. No, I I agree. I think that's my favorite line. That's great, Derek. I think Heartbreak, you said earlier, Heartbreak, it takes practice. I think I'm getting better at this. It is, it's a very simple line, but I think it kind of says, it sort of says the whole thing all at once. So effective. And which do you most enjoy playing live? La, 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 la. Um, I love playing Defender Live, mm. even though I hate seeing it, but I actually really like playing it. What I like, I think I like even on Bad Days Live. Yes, mm. it's got some feel. It's really nice to play live. It's easy to sit in that feel. Mm. And because it's just a repetition of that same section over and over again, you get to sort of keep growing and you can relax. Yeah. Nice. It was nice. quite fun being bedtime reminder in America, actually. The audience participation in that is good. Mm. It's really easy for us to sing. So there's a, there are nice, yeah. nice instances of, of, of big crowds kind of just gently singing along to the nice. chorus. That, that's always a nice feeling. <clears throat> nice. So the last game you can do it separately or together up to you um it's what's the occasion so i give you three different occasions and if you had to pick three separate songs off the album for each occasion which would it be so i'll give you all three occasions first you've got a wedding any point of a wedding a dinner party so i always say like maybe if someone hasn't heard the record a song that like a good conversation starter for people to talk to at the dinner party and a car road trip so you've got wedding dinner party car road trip i think wedding is going to be bad days 
Wedding is bad days. Dinner party, probably press play, I'd say. It's like dinner really- party, what like, but that's more like contemplative conversation in the background, dinner party vibes. Yeah. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the embodiment of the song. I'm talking about essence of song. Essence. We're playing the essence game. We're playing the essence game. Um, I'm like, press play. It's just like, let's like, let's start this together. Let's have like, you know, I did, maybe so I don't know you. But like, let's, let's, let's. Oh, I, oh, see I like that. And yeah. I like it. And then what was the, the... Car road trip. The car road trip should be press play. Press play. You referenced the car. Because you're in a car thing. having yeah. a road trip. You can have both of both if you want. You can have both. In which case, the dinner party could be um, speech bubble. Maybe I want to get to mm. know you. And then you just keep the whole album on then as well. So then... Yeah, easy. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. We won the game. Did we win the game? What <laughs> did we win? You won. I'm not sure. It looked sure. like we were going to lose it for a bit, but then we won it. <laughs> um, thank you so much, guys. What have you got coming up in the future? Happy 2024, by the way. I know it's... Yes, happy Merry New, new, ha- Merry new January. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, what have you guys got coming up? Um, well, we have... Um, well, we have some tracks coming out with Madison Cunningham. Yes, that's very exciting. Uh, which is going to be great. And we're, we're looking at writing more and recording more with her this year. And we'll have, uh, there's a song uh, written for Holly Humberston. Oh, I love her. Nice. And some, I think possibly some Sigrid songs. Will Dorado is this band we were writing with in Tulsa. So so songs we've we've written for others and collaboration with with Maddie Cunningham. So those those are the sort of immediate things on the arrival. We're actually actually quietly and gently working away on a musical for the West End as well this year. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. We'll see wow. how far that gets, but that's actually one of the main projects we're working on right now. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's so exciting. Wow, he's got a bit of everything. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. And, yeah. Um, staying alive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and a lot of touring this year. Nice. Saying happy and healthy. Those important things. Yeah. Um, thank what you so you? much. Congrats. How about me? Yeah. <laughs> God, never prepared that question back. Um, actually, I fly to Australia tomorrow. That's probably the biggest thing. It's very exciting. Really, yeah, that's thing. to see a friend. Um, I'm visiting a friend and just, uh, yeah, having a bit of a holiday over there. So that's like the main thing. And then after that, yeah, just keep plugging away. Hopefully, keep interviewing like wonderful people like yourselves. So, yeah, yeah. beautiful. Nice. I think we might be staying with, with with one of your previous inter- interviewees in. Nashville, Courtney, Courtney Marie Andrews. Andrews. I did, yeah, because I know that you get know her. That's so cool. Yeah, ah, oh, wicked. Yes. Going to Australia at this time of year is the absolute ideal thing to do. I am looking forward to the heat. I am, yeah, it's quite dangerously. Yeah, it might, it might be a little. Yeah. A little I know. Hot. I have packed the like fact of it. I'm not very good in the sun, anyways. It's like fact fifty children sensitive, like proper. You know, like what your parents is to put on you and your kids, like that level of sun cream. We were there making the, the loved ones first flight album in Australia around this time, January, February, oh, yeah. and it was yeah, it was everything was designed to kill you. Sun, <laughs> it hailed at one point, and they were like heavy, aggressive, like golf ball sized hailstones. Wow. Where you had to like, we were driving to park under a bridge because it was smashing the car up. You know, there was like poisonous, flesh eating lizards just outside where we were staying. <laughs> Brown snakes, the most dangerous snakes in the entire world. Black widows, and you know, just yeah. everything. I hope my travel insurance people aren't listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
But don't worry about it because we were there for six weeks and nothing bad happened to us. Amazing. That's good. I'm not. That's made me more excited. Oh, Oh, that's super cool. You're going to be seeing Courtney Marie Andrews as well. Yeah. Love her stuff. She's great. What a songwriter. What a a painter. What a poet. Yeah, just an artist. I know. Is there anything she can't do? Um, she's got a weird run. <laughs> weird run, run, run. Yeah, <laughs> Courtney. Yeah, does she? Yeah, it's like Phoebe. I haven't seen her run. <laughs> it's like a flail. There's just things about Courtney. It's the flail. Yeah, oh my God. she has a great sort of '90s convertible car, which is hilarious. Oh, yeah, nice. um, this really doesn't suit her at all. But it's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> No run. Oh, that's good. Um, thank you so much, uh, Will. Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. And like, congratulations on the album. Like, yeah, as of this, I've loved it, and it's been so fascinating getting to hear you talk about it. So, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, thank you for having us. What a lovely interview. Thank mm. you for being nice to us. I hope we said words properly. It's <laughs> kind of lovely in Tulsa, and our brains are a little like wet cake. No, thank you. Thank you very much, especially after your big wild Tulsa night out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of LP Uncovered. If you like this one, you can go back and listen to all my previous episodes featuring lots of wonderful musicians. Just head along to wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts and subscribe away. Likewise, you can follow LP Uncovered on Instagram to keep up to date with upcoming episodes.